This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate, and Hancock. Well, this is High Stakes. I'm David Schifrin, and uh, today I'm, I'm speaking again with Pete Lawson. Pete is a good friend of the firm. We had him on the podcast a couple of months ago, maybe not quite three months ago, but Pete uh, is an uh, experienced healthcare executive and consultant and spent a lot of time uh, helping healthcare organizations of all types go through partnerships, deal with some of the, the changing financial realities in different situations. Um, so just has a really good perspective on what hospitals and health systems need to be thinking about in any given moment. And so, of course, so much has changed over the last 60 days with COVID-19. And, and we spoke with, with Pete last week to just get an update from him and wanted to continue that conversation sort of on the record here. So Pete, it's Great to talk to you again. Glad you're uh, staying safe and, and all is well with you and look forward to, to this conversation. David, thank you very much. I think when we met in February, the COVID-19 pandemic was just kind of reaching the news. So I think we were talking about it in the background, but that is part of the discussion we're having um, that day on strategies for distressed hospitals. So it's fascinating to sit with you less than 60 days later, the world's changed dramatic, dramatically for um, rural hospitals and hospitals in general that I don't think anyone really anticipated the impact of, and maybe we can walk through a couple of those things, but I, I, I think it, it just augments what we were talking about before the challenges distressed hospitals have because it has, as you know, severely harmed, maybe in the short run for some hospitals, but long-term, the smaller hospitals the COVID shutdown, you know, state by state, local market, local market, and maybe just a little bit, we can talk about patients' fear of going to hospitals or a doctor's office or going outside and how will that change everything. So you think about that a little bit, the, the rural hospitals in the United States, you've been seeing a lot of discussion on COVID and the impact to them along the lines of the same things we were chatting about before. They've lost, you know, market share and and uh, volumes and financial issues affect them because patients have chosen to go to other markets for elective care. And this is before COVID, right? Yeah. Now, with the gov- the different state, local governments or volunteer, you know, hospital volunteering shutdown, elective procedures because of the fear of the surge. I think it's geometrically impacted rural hospitals that were already struggling. Uh, Then the question for all of us is, will they ever recover? And I think that's going to be a difficult road to hoe for the rural hospitals because they were already challenged anyways. And, you know, and the strategy for rural hospitals historically has been, we need more money. We need more different types of reimbursement. And David, I really think that just the reimbursement issue is not enough for you know, rural hospitals to survive. They have to really shift gears and shift a different model of care. And I think it really ties into what we talked before. I mean, what, what's their mission and what does it look like today going forward? Yeah. So, so you talked about the fear that patients have about going to the hospital, going to the doctor, which is very understandable. And that is obviously a very different thing than that's a different trend than anything we saw pre COVID. So aside from that, is there anything new that's been added to the equation or or do you think it's more of just an acceleration of the trends that we were already seeing fear aside i think people have been in their houses because they've been told to or 
they just aren't going to go out. So they're not going to, they have not been pursuing, you know, my, you know, elective care like they normally would have, including primary care doctors and emergency rooms, which are large primary care centers. So we've seen nationwide emergency care decline, both on the primary side, but also, you know, you have less people driving. So you have less car wrecks and those kind of things. It's just fascinating. I think the biggest change that we didn't talk about, maybe we covered a little bit last time, was the advancement of telehealth. Mm-hmm. And because people are shut in and because people aren't going on, um, the use of telehealth during this last 60 days has skyrocketed. Um, Teladoc just announced today their stock just hit $180 a share when two, two years ago it was $80, <laughs> right? So people are now, because of this, you know, shut in, Style and maybe the fear of going to a doctor's office or just going outside, people are now using Teladoc and, and other similar health systems. And I think that is going to be an advancement that wouldn't have occurred right away. But because of the COVID, it's, it, that is accelerating. But the interesting thing is it's, it's not going to reverse itself when this all kind of ameliorates. Yeah, yeah. We're going to like using it. And I think that's some of the fears that hospitals and hospital systems and physicians will have is that patients they may have seen historically for elective care are going to use telehealth just by design. Big, yeah, big, big shift. It's, it's so interesting because I, I mean, as you're talking about this and it's strange because I think we've, I'll speak for myself, thinking about telehealth as this evolving feature a new way of delivering care that everybody in kind of, especially the health services side, the startup world said, yeah, we got to advance this. We, you know, it's like, it can help save costs and all this. We got to ramp it up, but essentially it's a new way of delivering care and it's a, it's a service. It's a feature. And it seems like because of this rapid, I mean, explosive adoption that's been necessary because of, of all of us staying home, it's not a feature. It is an entirely new business model that is is carving out a huge amount of revenue, business, whatever, from the traditional ways of providing care. So you, you can't just sort of, hospitals aren't sort of weaving it into their existing operations. It's just taking over. So what does that mean for, you're talking about people not visiting the the ED, which is often outside of primary care. What's happening? What is what is Teladoc going to do uh, to rural hospitals? Well, um... Well, just remember in general, what kind of help, helped the explosive use of uh, telehealth during this period was the federal government laid out what they were going to reimburse for tele, telemedicine, which always is the driver of innovation in healthcare. If, if you go back in history and look in the 70s and 80s, like outpatient surgery was always in, was always in a hospital and you you, it didn't, you didn't really have the ASCs out there because insurance companies and, and, and Medicare wouldn't approve the care in that setting. It just seems odd today. But when government allowed outpatient surgery, that's when your other insurers allowed outpatient surgery, then it took off. So I think the government, at least during this time frame, they're saying this is kind of we're easing the rules for telehealth, they're not going to go back to the way it was before because people have used it and it it is lower cost and you do provide more access. I think that's here to stay, but reimbursing for it was a big shift of usage in it. Also, remember, it's just patient usage. I mean, like I I have Florida Blue Cross and we always had Teladoc as part of our member services. And if you look at your own insurance plan, you probably have a telehealth system just like most major insurers. So, but you just were kind of pressed into using it that you never did before. 
that aside, the hospitals, it's not exactly um, something that a hospital would be on the vanguard of putting in place intentionally because it, it's going to re- it it will reduce their ER usage. It will reduce their physician employee physician visits. I mean, it will, it will re- reduce their doctors who are independent their usage. If you think about it, really on a micro scale. So they, you wouldn't have, you've seen hospital systems developing telehealth over the last few years, but nobody was wanting to replace all their care by it because it really would, you know, affect their financial performance unless they looked at it on a much broader scale. But that's where I think hospital systems today have to look at now. It's not going to go away. And now they're competing on a broader scale to treat more patients in broader areas than they ever did before. So the more, I think, savvy hospital systems and physicians will use telehealth to expand the market share and compete. Okay. So Pete, we are, we're seeing hospitals, I mean, of all sizes, the revenue's just been kind of blown to pieces in many cases. (laughs) Electives have been shut down. We're just talking about telehealth and what that's meant for sort of in-person visits there's patient behavior, kind of the consumer aspect of all of this. So th- the money is all over the place. The The struggle is just kind of accelerating. What do rural hospitals need to be thinking about their boards and their leadership teams? You know, what do they, what questions do, you need, do they need to be asking right now as we begin to look towards the kind of recovery and refocusing phases of the, I don't know, we've, we've been talking about this at the front. There's not really a post COVID world necessarily, but the post acute phase of the COVID right. crisis. I think it's more of a patient behavior change, David, on a permanent basis. I think patients who maybe support, you know, but you know, by the their location in the hospital, in our community, they in rural hospitals, if they have access to telehealth services, they don't need to necessarily go to that particular hospital anymore. And so, I think that's going to be a big impact on rural hospitals, just in general. Uh, and then the whole elective procedure concept is is affected by that in terms of cash flow. So back to what we were discussing in your your office a few months ago, I, I do think because of this, uh, if you're a, an independent rural hospital or you know even if you're part of a system, you have to have kind of channels into bigger facilities. I think to help you survive, you should be thinking of well, how do I, how can I use telehealth to expand my market share? Does, does that mean setting up telehealth clinics around your broader community to, to make that connection point to larger systems. I think there's there's opportunities for rural hospitals that weren't there before, but it's going to look and feel different um, than, it, than it did before. So I, I think that's where hospitals, rural hospitals should be thinking as opposed to, gosh, we need to get more reimbursement or we're going to have real problems. I, I think you should put I mean, we understand that. We understand reimbursement's helpful, but you have to think of different strategies to survive than just, you know, that you know, ask, ask for more funding. Where do transactions play into all this as we, we come out of this? Whether it's strategic partnerships or or full on M and A. I think transactions in general right now, whether it's acquisitions or partnering or even changing contracts, you know, with your suppliers or with your house based groups. Right now, everyone's in a pause period. They're kind of like, they had their own issues to deal with, their own employees and their own financial situations. The, the question we have with hospitals and, and particularly rural hospitals or distressed hospitals, 
what does value look like to you after this is done? What is the value of what you're offering in terms of price and then interest level by a buyer or a future partner? That to me is going to change dramatically after this is said and done. It's because, you know, you, if you're a larger hospital system and you were contemplating acquiring a smaller hospital, your, your pro formas and expectations are all changed. I mean, because you're asking yourself the question, well, do one, do we have the finances to acquire this smaller facility? But more important, David, what is the value that this smaller facility brings to us today going forward? And I think hospital systems in general are going to struggle with, does that make sense? When you're seeing primary care visits down and ER visits down, the value proposition by that smaller hospital just became less. So that's where they need to be thinking about other ways to drive revenue because there may not be a partnership on the other side. They may have to stand alone. Absolutely. I mean, you, you are seeing bankruptcies. We were seeing bankruptcies before, but at my heart and heart, before there ever is a bankruptcy, there was always an attempt to partner or sell. Problem today is when you go through that transaction period in a formal M&A process, oftentimes there's no buyers, no buyers show up for all kinds of reasons beyond just the, the hospital assets. You have to have a buyer and a seller. But I think today going forward, hospitals is bigger. The buyers are going to be challenged financially. They're going to have to think, are we going to put all of our funds in or, you know, large amount of capital dollars and economic risk into the small hospital? Or are we going to focus on expanding a telehealth model? Or are we going to focus on making sure our employees are ready for that potential next surge, right? So I, I, I think that's going to be a challenge for the smaller hospitals that were maybe anticipating doing something, you know, down the road, but it, the world has changed for them dramatically. Okay. okay. Yep. Not sure I want to crack Pandora's box, but I will. What about PE? <laughs> <laughs> and what, you know, I mean, you got to expect them to jump in here at some point too. Remember when you opened Pandora's box in the bottom of the box was hope, right? Yeah. That's that was left in the end. And I believe that's the case with the health system in the United States and all these things. Hope still exists and it will occur, but it'll look different. So relative to PE, I, I don't I've never looked at PE as some, you know, people describe PE as something evil. It's not. It's it's just private investors putting money into facilities and a lot in operations and businesses. And I think you're seeing quite a bit of PE activity prior to this, the COVID in physician practices and of course technology. And then as you go forward, as we speak, you're seeing, I think the focus is not, maybe won't be so much in physician practices per se or groups, it'll probably be in telehealth and, and platforms of IT, AI and those things. So I, I think the shift will probably drift from clinical practice to probably telehealth and platforms. But PE is to me is a good thing. It, it's it's create it's an engine of entrepreneurialism, and I think that will push for telehealth and the like. But not maybe not so much on the hospital or provider side. Okay. Well, Pete, what else? Anything that you're hearing from your clients? Anything they're asking you that that you know people need to know? I think we, this is a good reminder for healthcare that we say it's locally driven, and it really is. When you talk to hospital CEOs and health systems around the country, 
everyone has had different, you know, kind of reactions and to the COVID pandemic. All hospital CEOs I know are very concerned about their employees. Because the employees are the engines of the operation and they, they run up, they help run a hospital. So I think the priority was their concern that, you know, if we have too many patients or our employees get sick, we won't be able to take care of them yeah, when yeah. this when the, the surge kind of slows down and then you can have a surge, David, in elective care. It's not like all these patients who all of a sudden with cancer or orthopedics or heart illness decided they're not going to have it. They're just kind of waiting to, to have it. So that's going to be fascinating to see the, are you able to handle the surge? So the health systems that kind of protected their employees and kept them in, you know, in tow will, will do better than the ones who kind of laid people off and work. So that's, that's pretty fascinating. Um, Healthcare is always a fascinating place. It is always changing. And I think the health systems that survive, small and large, are going to have to change with it. And it'll be, you know, opportunities that they never kind of contemplated. But the ones who are savvy enough will will kind of take those opportunities and they'll survive. And But it, it will look different. But back to what we talked about two months ago, does it meet their mission that of taking care of people, you know, that they probably have had for hundreds of years? And if you can you can appreciate the fact that none of those missions say and we will not take care of people via telehealth <laughs> because it's right. ending yeah they, they you know they have to take now it's like yes of course that will provide community care of the mission we provide so i think it's back to the mission and it has to get back to um strategically how do i survive you know going forward but maybe it wasn't what we used to do here but it, it is taking care of patients and we, we can provide that mission of care going forward. So I think that's always your, your backdrop for healthcare in the United States. Here, well, Pete Lawson, thanks again for your time. Hope to talk to you in another 60 days. Hopefully there won't be another thing like this of this magnitude in, in the next 60 days, right. but uh, always a pleasure. Same here, David, and be well and, um, you know, and um, onward and upward. <laughs> <laughs>